We are coming near the end of our study of Exodus. Um, Last week, uh, Dinah took us from uh, the aftermath of the golden calf episode, and as a result of that, Moses is faced with a choice, and he uh, pleads with God to stay with him and to stay with the people. He asks God for two things. He asks God for God's presence, and he asks uh, God to know God's way. And a part of that answer comes when we move forward to chapter 34, after God has put Moses in a rock so that God can pass by and Moses can see the backside of God. This picks up the story in verse 6. Then the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a compassionate and gracious God, um, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And he does not leave the guilty unpunished but punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Several decades ago, uh, as the story goes, there was a very famous theologian and seminary professor in New York City. And he was so famous that he ended up on the A-list, and he got invited to parties with very important people. But what began to happen at some of these parties is people would come up to him, knowing he was a famous theologian, and they would say to him, I don't believe in God. And his stock response to them was, tell me some more about the God you don't believe in. And so they would describe a God who was absent, who was uncaring, who was vengeful or violent. And he would listen as they explained. And then when they finished, he would always say, you know, I don't believe in that God either. It's a great question, what kind of God do you believe in? But there's a better question than that, and that is, what kind of God does our God believe he is? What kind of God does our God believe in? What does our God say about God's very own self, God's very own character? Well, we get a wonderful answer this morning in Exodus, the 34th chapter. Again, the setting is that uh, the people have been joined to God. It's, all, it's like um, a marriage, as Dinah explained last week. Moses is the best man. The cloud of God's presence is like the canopy. The com- Ten Commandments are like the vows that are exchanged and the rings that were in the ear that they had received. The gold rings while they were in Egypt became like the wedding ring. But as you know the story, it didn't go very well. Before they ever got to the honeymoon, idolatry and adultery was already committed. And so quickly, Moses implores God not to leave the people and then says, I'm going to stay with these people and then says to God, and I'm not going forward if you're not going. And he asked God, to show him his ways and then to give him a glimpse of his presence, a glimpse of his glory. And in the scripture this morning, God answers both of those requests. The first request he answers is, in fact, Moses does get a glimpse of God's glory. He does get a sense of God's presence. Uh, God sticks him in a place that's sheltered and then passes by so that Moses can see the backside of God. And uh, one of my professors at Duke used to call this the first case of mooning in the Bible. I'd like to say something more helpful than that. And that is typically there's a couple different explanations. One is that the presence, the goodness of God is so great, 
so unfathomable that none of us could stand it. We could not look at God's goodness and glory head on and live. And because of that, all we can get is sort of an afterglow, sort of a reflection of a reflection of a reflection as God passes by. And I think, I think that's probably largely so. But the rabbis had another explanation, which is also interesting. And Pastor Michael reminded me of this uh, this week. And that is, um, in relationships, often the back is the side that you don't have access to yourself. So only someone with whom you have a close relationship or someone with whom you're intimate has access to your backside. So let's say you're going to the pool or the beach. It's pretty hard to get the sunscreen back there. But someone who knows you, someone who loves you, someone you trust, you ask them to take care of that for you. Or as Will said to the children, there's that piggyback side. And and so many rabbis say what this is is an invitation from God to Moses to have an intimate relationship. I want you to be like that spouse. I want you to see my back, to see the intimacy, and to have an intimate relationship. And and I think that's possible too. But more interesting to me this morning was the second request that Moses made. First one was, you know, I I want your presence. I want to see your presence. But the second one was this. I want to know your ways, he asked God. I want to know your ways. And the way God handled that was very interesting. God passed by, as we, as we said, and then gave a description of what God was like to Moses. And the description is a, a God who is a compassionate and gracious God, who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and maintaining love to the thousands, and uh, forgiving wickedness, sin, and rebellion, and that's the description that God gives. Uh, and then Moses then is left with that description to figure out what to do. Now, those of us who, were, who, when we were children, were not slow on the uptake, figured this out. We figured out if we could, if we, the more we knew about our parents, the more we knew their character and what was important to them and the things they stressed, the fewer questions we had to ask about what we could or couldn't do. You know, most of us had parents, and we knew them well enough, and so we knew that if we asked Dad and said, Dad, is it okay if I come in at 4 o'clock tomorrow morning stumbling drunk? I knew better than to ask that question. You know, I'm doing pretty well in this class. Is it okay if I just not study for this last test? I knew better than to ask that question. The more you knew of the character of your parents, the more you knew what to ask and what not to ask and what to do and what not to do. So God's saying to Moses, this is my character. These are my attributes. This is what I'm like, and you'll figure out what to do. What is God like? God is unfathomably loving. Basically, God explains to Moses, I love in a way that no one has ever loved or will before or will ever love again. What's interesting is the word uh, that is used and gets translated in the English this morning, uh, abounding love and faithfulness. When the early King James translators got to this word in Hebrew, there was no English word for it. They had to take this kind of love, they had no word for it, and turn it into a phrase. Uh, The word we've talked about before, hesed. Uh, God's steadfast uh, love that's so unlike our love, a God that stays with us no matter what that's with us before we get to the relationship, stays with us in the relationship no matter what happens. There just wasn't a word in English for that. That's God. That's what God's like. God is that loving. 
And then uh, God is also slow to anger. And Ryan Jacobson reminded me this week in our pastor's meeting that it's, our Hebrew teacher taught us that this is actually a picture. It's a, it's a word picture. And the picture is uh, long of nostril. Long of nostril is slow to anger. In other words, it's going to take God a while to get God's nostrils inflamed. It's going to take God a while to get angry about things. It's going to take God a while to really respond negatively to the things that happened. Let me say it another way. We have a God who, by self-description to Moses and by an actual practice, takes a long time to count to ten. In fact, counts way more than ten. Jesus comes along and Peter asks him, Lord, how many times should we forgive somebody? Seven times? And Peter assumes that that answer, he's moved to the head of the class. Because the rabbis taught that three times ought to be sufficient to forgive anybody for, uh, for a mistake that they made three times over. Then Jesus responded, basically, I don't count. Seventy times seven. Our God, extremely slow to take action. When God has been offended and other people have been hurt. You know, I run into people every other week and the question comes up, well, why is the God of the Old Testament so mean and so vengeful? Why is God so violent? And I understand that question, but part of what I want to say is, have you read about the people in the Old Testament? Have you read the stuff they did to each other? Have you read about them taking their firstborn children and sacrificing them to Baal just so it would rain? Did you catch that part? I want to tell you about a God who's got really long nostrils. About a God who's going to take a long time to get worked up. That's who our God is. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Not even a word for that in English. And then extremely slow to anger. Maintaining love to the thousands. What's interesting in this self-description from God is it's a little bit different from the description that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai with the giving of the Ten Commandments. When they were given the Ten Commandments, the second commandment was about not uh, making uh, an idol or not having a graven image. And God, after God says this, God self-identifies and says, and I'm a jealous God and I'm going to punish. But look at the self-identification now that happens several chapters later. God self-identifies the Lord, the Lord a compassionate and gracious God, and goes on and on about love, and punishment is like a footnote. It's almost at the end to talk about the punishment, the third and fourth generation. What we find is when when God wants to reveal God's character to Moses, God starts with God's magnanimity, the fact that God loves like no one else ever has or ever will. That's the thing to remember. That's the thing to look at when you're trying to figure out the ways of God, and then what our ways should be like. So the glory of God clearly is God's goodness. So good that we couldn't comprehend it. So good that it would kill us if we grasp all of it. The glory of God is God's goodness. But the funny thing to me is we're told we can't see the goodness of God and live, and yet when Jesus comes along, all of that goodness comes into Jesus. And did the people who see Jesus live? They did, but what did they do? They killed him. How interesting in the New Testament, the people who see the glory of God don't die, but instead they kill the object of the glory because they still don't know what to do with a love like that. 
Jesus didn't love the way they loved. Jesus didn't play by the rules they played by. And they didn't know what to do with it. This kind of love was unfathomable. It had never been seen before. They got a glimpse of the goodness of God in the person of Jesus. Do you wonder what God is like? Look at God's self-description. By the way, it was so significant in the scriptures, it's repeated another dozen times. You'll find almost the exact phrase about God. Um, Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and full of love and faithfulness. You'll find that over and over again as a description of God. And then look at Jesus, and you'll get a glimpse of what God is like. But do you want another glimpse? Mother's Day reminds me that another way we get a glimpse of God is to remember that God wanted to be known as our Father. In fact, Jesus taught people that's how they would pray. But Father wasn't a New Testament definition of God. It had been there all along. God had always wanted to be known as Father. And Jesus points out that God also wanted to be known as Mother. How, like a mother hen, Jesus said, I want to gather you and keep you with me. You want a glimpse of God? Look at some of the parenting that goes on in our world. Look at some of the things that parents do on behalf of those they love. And you get a reflection, a dim reflection, but you get a reflection of God's love. I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about my mom. And one of the things that God is self-described as is compassionate and gracious. And I was thinking years ago when Pam and I were our, at our last semester at Duke, we were out of money. And when I say out of money, we nothing left. And my mother had her own stash. She was a teacher. And she went into her own stash and accessed it and bailed us out out of compassion and grace. What is God like? We're told that God is steadfastly loyal, abounding in love and faithfulness. There's not even a word in English to talk about it. And I saw this in my father. A number of you know that I guess about a decade ago, my mother um, got Alzheimer's. And it was a few years later before we would recognize it. But of course, dad did. And one of the things in mom's illness is days and nights were mixed up. And so night after night after night, dad stayed up with mom. And then in daytime, tried to keep other things going and ran errands and tried to serve her hand and foot. I saw that. Steadfast and loyal. And then God maintaining love to the thousands, broadcasting love widely even outside perhaps the immediate family. I had a wonderful gift given to me a little over years ago, a year ago. I had a, a new pastor, a woman, assigned to me, and I was supposed to be her theological tutor. Those of you know, who know me would find that humorous, but that's another story. But she was telling her secretary that she was going over to Alma Heights, and she had a meeting with David McNitsky. And her secretary, she pastors a church on the east side, said to her, Is that Myra's boy? And the pastor said, well, I don't know, but I'll find out. So after we exchanged pleasantries and sat down, she said to me, said, is your mother's name Myra? And I said, well, yes, yes, it was. And she said, my secretary wanted me to tell you that more than 20 years ago, when she was a victim of domestic 
violence and abuse that your mother and father took her in to their house until she could get back on her feet. I had no idea. One or two of my siblings might have known, but I didn't. You want a glimpse of God? Look at God's name. Want a glimpse of God? Look at Jesus. Want another glimpse of God? Look at some of the love that has happened in your life and through your life. But you might be saying, what about this punishment bit? Well, that is interesting. But as a parent, you understand, I know, that love always has two sides. The one that is always giving and the one that is allowing in terms of consequences. A good parent knows that they can't cover and do everything for the child or the child will not grow. The child will not learn. And society will fall wrecked on children that haven't lived with the consequences and the pain of their actions. And you know as a parent that sometimes the person who feels the pain when you don't intervene to bail out is you feel the pain for them. And I think that's some of what goes on with God. And notice two things. That the punishment is to the third and fourth generation. But love is to the thousandth generation. So just get that, get that ratio right. The early church used to say our sins and our wickedness are like a pebble of sand. And God's love is like the ocean. I mean, that's about the right ratio that you need to have in mind. But also know this. There are a number of times in the Bible when God says something, and you could arguably interpret it as descriptive as, or instead of prescriptive. Prescriptive is God says, this is the way it's going to be, and I'm going to make it that way. No questions. And there are other times God says something and says, man, this is how it goes unless you do something else. This is just how it rolls out. And so there are a number of us who believe that when God says that the third and fourth generation are punished, it's not because God wants that. God's saying that's just how things roll. Parents are addicts. The addiction gets passed to the kids. How many times have you seen the parents fearful and it gets passed on to the kids? How many times have you seen the parents abusive and it's passed on to the kids? That's how things roll. That's not a that's not God's deciding to inflict punishment. That's what happens. But the good news is God says that doesn't go on forever. That those patterns can be broken. And they can be replaced by patterns that are much longer lasting. Patterns of love. How many times have you seen families that practice love and that gets passed on? Pam- families that practice hospitality and that gets passed on. Pam- families that practice perseverance and standing by the side of loved ones who are ill, and that gets passed on. That's how things work. And love, because of our God, will always pass on and last longer than will pain or punishment. We worship a God whose glory is His goodness. But that's not all the story. Nicholas Volterstorff is a theologian at Yale. He wrote a book a number of years ago uh, called Lament for His Son. His 26-year-old son died in a climbing accident in the Swiss Alps. And as he was wrestling on this and thinking about this, he came to this realization. He said, you know, a lot of people say that no one can look on the glory of God and live because God's goodness is so unbelievable and overwhelming it would kill us to experience it. 
And he says, I think that's true. But he said, I also note how the Bible says that God collects all of our tears in a jar. And that every time we are hurt, every time we are ill, every time we hurt someone and they hurt, that all of that experience is heaped on God. That all of our sin, all of our grief, all of our pain, every time we feel it, God feels it and takes it on. And Voltersdorf says after the death of his son, sometimes I wonder if God's glory is not just his goodness, but God's glory is God's sadness. That God has taken on everything that has ever hurt us has hurt God. And no one can look on that kind of pain and live. What an amazing God we have who loves us in a way that no one else ever has or ever will love us. So we can't even begin to look on it. And who's felt everything that's ever hurt us so that we can't even look on it. It's amazing. We have a God who's so loving and so empathetic that we can't look at him. But I want to tell you, that's the God I believe in.